Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Two seven zero. That means there have been two hundred and sixty nine at least episodes before this one. This is episode two seventy. We're recording this live on January twelfth, twenty twenty three. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host Nick Rome, joined today by Mr. Barry Kirby. Hello and good evening. Hello and good sleepy evening to you. We got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about uh, this report from the Transportation Research Board. Their their twenty twenty two annual report. Uh, and later, we're going to be answering some questions from the community about UX research being overhyped as a field, human factors, engineering, career help, and gaining experience for grad school. But first, we have some programming notes for you all. Uh, if you're not aware, we have just done, we have completed, I guess, our, our Patreon refresh, upgrade, updated some role titles, clarified some benefits, added some new things. Uh, so, you know, Human Factors Cast Academy is new, uh, and we also have something else coming soon human factors cast roundtable you can basically pay to have yourself on your own podcast with myself and barry for our patrons um even if you're not a patreon patreon patron <laughs> it's worth on heading over there because we do post all of our stories for next week on our on our uh, the polls we put up there wow that wasn't rehearsed at all uh we put the polls for next week's stories up there where everyone can vote whether you're a patreon or not all you need is an account but next week we have inside japan's long experiment in el automating elder care the best of ces 23 please tw uh, please pick that one and then we also have a uh, first ever uk space flight set for january 9th which was pick that last one week. pick that one Pick that one. <laughs> so you have my favorite. You have Barry's favorite. Barry, what's what's uh, what's the latest over at 1202? So 1202, obviously, the live episode is still what you can see is the 2022 in review. But I'm really excited about the fact that we've got some really cool interviews lined up for 2023. So the next episode to come out will be my future look onto 2023, what we can hope to expect. And I recorded my first interview yesterday. And I'm not going to say who it was, is who it was with yet, um, but legend isn't going far enough. Um, a human factors legend, and I'll leave can it at that. Oh man, can you just type it to me so I can see? Uh, <laughs> well, no. hey, that's that's great. Uh, wait, wait, no, all right, let's get into human factors news so I can forget about this. That's right. This is the part of the show all about Human Factors News. Barry, what is our uh, exciting story this week? Exciting story? Anyway, uh, the, this week's story is Transportation Research Board 2022 Annual Report. So you've all excelled yourself this week. Rather than give us our usual article, which is normally a page, maybe two pages long, we have a 44-page report to digest and talk about. But Nick and I have done it. This report is an interesting one for us because actually it's all about transportation, Some, something that users engage with or are affected by every single day. It's produced, as we said, by the Transport uh, Transportation Research Board. For those of you unfamiliar with the TRB, especially outside of the US, the TRB is one of the seven program divisions of the National Academies of Science, Engineering and Medicine, a private nonprofit institution that provides expert advice on some of the most pressing challenges facing the nation and the world. This 2022 annual report summarizes the TRB's accomplishments in each of its major program areas and how the nonprofit organization has served the nation and the global transportation professional community throughout the year. TRB provides leadership in transportation improvements and innovation through trusted, timely, impartial, and evidence-based information exchange, research, and advice regarding all modes of transportation. Despite the significant impact you would think that human factors plays in transportation research, Actually, in this report, it simply doesn't get a mention in the main body, though it does get in the titles of two reports listed in, in the appendix. Equally baffling, from my perspective, is the lack of mention of human error, user error, UX, UI, or any of really what we would call our big hitter keywords. But they have had major drives to include more diverse voices in transportation research, as well as devoting a significant section of climate resiliency and sustainability, which is, you know, something that's quite close to my heart. So, Nick, when you reviewed um, the the report, did you get transported away, transported away by the content of this report? Are you driven to any new nuggets of knowledge, or was it all just a bit congested for you? You were so close. I you know. were so close to landing it. Uh, yeah, <sighs> let's let's. So, the title of this episode is a pun and a double entendre. So, it's driving 
us wild uh, for, for a couple of reasons. One is because this is not the report I thought it was um, when I selected it for um, the poll to have you all, our listeners, vote. Um, and so, oops, I think the report I was thinking of, we'll talk about about in a, just a little bit. Um, but uh, it's it's still got some good human factors applications, despite them not mentioning any of the big hitter keywords. Although I do have one that was mentioned in there, safety. So there's that. And and yeah, I know, I know, Barry. I see you. Hey, I'll I'll let you talk in just a second. But I just want to say, great job, TRB. I guess. I mean, this is this to me is the end of the year report they put out to kind of say here's here's everything that we did um, as kind of like a, a documentation piece. Uh, and and it's not the thing I thought it was, which was kind of consolidating 2022 data. Yeah, I think it's one of these things, isn't it? I think. Um... As a body, um, you want to reflect on your um, your successes. You want to reflect on what you've achieved, and and there's a lot of really interesting information here. And it's an organisation. It boasts over eight thousand volunteers, and they've produced a significant body of knowledge. And so, as great job, you know, congratulations. Um, I do have a problem that, um, as I said, that human factors is only mentioned twice, um, given you know some of the other things that you. Um, here and you think would be would be big hitters uh, within within the topics I've expected, but then there's no mention of AI either. If you did a search for AI, that doesn't get a mention, which is a bit worrying. Um, but I think my takeaway thing is that um, that our li- our listeners and our, our viewers, I think we're trying to test us. I think they're having a bit of a laugh to see they they see us week in week out take articles of varying quality and, and, and varying length and produce some top quality analytical review of of, of these things so they're, th- they're they're trying to challenge us this week by giving us this 44 page review which they know we only have we only get hold of this what a couple of hours before the show um and so therefore um they want to see whether we're up to that challenge of reading 44 pages and coming up with a with an articulate um summary and um insightful knowledge um or in in, in insightful analysis of it and and I, i'm not sure whether i'm up to the challenge no we um, got it we got it well we have we've done it um I, I i didn't need dinner tonight i didn't have to um talk with the family at all and I, I, I just sat here and read this report and i yeah. know now a lot more so think about what you've done and go vote on next week's story for the top stories of ces Yes, and 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 I I look forward next week to talking about the um, the, the, sp- the space flight space flight from the uh, from the UK. I'm, I'm it, looking forward. To that. It's going to be the uh, the Japanese elderly story. I know it. Anyway, so so let's let's actually get into this report. So we're still going to do this our due diligence. And yes, you mentioned that there's not a whole lot of mention of human factors concepts in here. There's a big one, safety, right, which I kind of called out, but. You're right. This is a very high level report where it's it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a um, meta report of mm-hmm. all the reports that they've put out. Um, you know, it, it well, it's not meta in the sense that it analyzes everything contained with those. It's a recap rep- report. It's a summary. So yeah. it's a summary. So so it doesn't actually go into some of the topics that some of the sub reports, if you want to call them that way, some of their top reports that they've put out throughout the year. Um you know, would cover. So I think maybe you've, you've pulled out some of the top three webinars and the top three, uh, top three, uh, publish publications. There we go. That's the word you want to, you want to go through those? I was going to say, I'll take, how about I take the webinars, you take the publications. Um, that sounds great because I mean, we know what it's like to do a webinar. I mean, we do them, do them every week. They're not easy. And and trying to get people um, engaged and trying to come up with topics that the people want, want to want to work with. Um, so I've got a lot of respect for. I mean, basically they put out um, sixty webinars um, in a year, which is more than one a week. One a week. Um, so that's about the same um, cadence as what we do uh, what we do with, with this podcast. And so when they've done it, they've done um, they've done over sixty, but they're top three most attended, therefore the the most popular in three. Uh, in third place was transportation in an aging society. The future is now. Now we've talked about this before on the, um, on the podcast. Um, the, then the two was pedestrian analysis, 
current practice resources and um, applications, which is really good. It's, it's sort of getting into what um, looking at what, what a um, what their what the user group is effectively, and what our target what the target audience is. And then at number one, which slightly baffles me, um, is temporary pavement markings and removal practices in work zones, um, which they had over three hundred people attending that 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 webinar. So I mean, stunning. Look. Look, I know it sounds, um, yeah, that is a lot of people, right? We can't even get that many people to listen to to listen live for us. Uh, although we do do this weekly, and it's a different story every every week. So I do want to mention though that this this is like, you know, folks from every different state, many different cities, municipalities, um, who their job is to do this stuff. And so it makes sense that there would be a lot of attendance for some of the latest and breaking news in uh, pavement markings and removal practices. Um, right. I mean, it, the good thing around these sort of webinars, and they're not dissimilar to the webinars we do with the, say, the Charter Institute of Economics and Human Factors. It's not like what we're doing here where we're just, where we find out the, the latest news of the week. These are all coalescing people who've got a specific interest. And so I would imagine that the you know the people attending the the webinar on temporary pavement markings is a different user cohort to the uh, pedestrian analysis is different again to the aging society. So, and within them different topics, um, they've when you look at the entire list, they've covered a wide range of uh, wide range of things. And all credit to them to be able to join that sort of audience because it's not just. Um, we, I guess here we rely on, um, or take advantage of people who come in and just listen to every week, um, about the sort of whatever it is that we talked about that week. Um, whereas here you've got to advertise what your particular topic is. You've got to push it out there to make sure the relevant people know that it's actually going to happen. Um, and reach out to them to say, look, this is happening. Would you like to, um, listen to it or even participate in it? Um, so there's a lot more effort that goes into, um, or there is a lot of effort that goes into um, doing these specific topic events um, to make sure that they that they you know fulfill the brief really. Yeah, and it's hard to talk about this from a human factors perspective. So I'm going to talk about it from like a science communication perspective. This is great that you have so many attendees um, on what I would call niche niche areas, like niche within a niche, right? <laughs> Like uh, the pavement markings and removal practices is a niche within trans surface transportation, which is a niche in itself of of uh, at least for us human factors. Right. And so how how do you advertise that to those people? And you got to understand that these are not just human factors professionals. These are folks who are, um, you know, actual practitioners and, and people who do the removal um, themselves. Right. So like they need to know some of these tools and techniques, which is great. Um, and I think that's, that, that can be, you know, that you can say something there for training that having these recurring or, or I guess more than once a week webinars on various topics is a great way to tackle training for folks, especially if it has some practical applications. Uh, I think overall, you know, there's, there's, um, a lot to be said about the webinar format, especially if it's. Uh, coming off as like a classroom type of information dissemination piece. If it's a like open discussion, that's a that to me is like a different. That's more like what we do here, right? We do an open discussion on some of these topics every week. But if it's if it's more um, sort of best practices communication, then that's I, I think more education for for practitioners. Uh, well, we did mention that they did uh, do over 150 publications in 2022. Their three top downloaded ones were the highly high, <laughs> Highway Safety Manual User Guide. Now, this is the one that I thought that we were actually looking at today. Now, this is uh, this this document, Barry, has a whole intro section on human factors dedicated towards human factors. It mentions it in the title. So oh. here's here's what you're talking about, right? Um, some key takeaways from this one here were basically focusing on on roadway safety, predictive methods. So like estimating safety effectiveness, uh, the expected and predicted crash frequencies. Um, and then they also looked at guidance on applications. So 
for different roadway segments, inter interchanges, intersections, um, actually applying different things to these types of roadways they they had in that safety manual. Um, and that one's always a fun one to peek at. I think we may have actually talked about it on the show before, but it's it's always one of those ones where you peel it open and you're just like, ooh, this is this is good. This is juicy. There's a lot of human factor stuff in here. That's why I thought this week would be great to talk about that, but it's not that. So let's get into number two. Sorry, just before um, you jump into number two, yeah. quick question. That Stop highway me. safety manual, is this, but then that says uh, high, uh, highway safety manual user guide. So is that just a user guide to be able to use the safety manual? Oh, that's a good question. I'm glad you brought that up. No. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. That's a rubbish title. Anyway. Sorry. I, uh, yeah, I... I I had the same question and I don't think it is. Um, in fact, I was just looking at the report uh, and I, I don't think that is the case because you're saying it would be a user guide for the safety manual. Yeah. Which would, would then lead me to think that the safety manual was really hard to use. Uh, but uh, anyway, sorry, I just I'm ambiguous titling. Well, no, because there's, there's a section in here using the highway safety manual user guide. <laughs> So they have a section on how to use the guide. Um, and then they have an overview of the highway safety manual. So maybe it is. I don't know. Now I'm confused. So the Great thing that you actually wanted, wanted us to be talking about tonight, you're not actually sure what it is either, right? I'm I'm fairly sure I know <laughs> what it is when I see it. It's like art. But it's got some... Um... It's got some human factors in it. So it actually mentions the term. So we, we like it, well, no matter what it's about. Anyway, exactly. sorry, I, 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 I rudely interrupted you with, with facts and stuff. That's, so, um, that's okay. That's okay. That's what this whole show is about. So we're going to get into the number two most published there, which was um, recent decline in public transportation ridership. And this, uh, this uh, the what was it? Analysis, cues, and responses. That's the full title. Recent decline in public transportation ridership. ridership uh, analysis, causes, and responses. Some of the key takeaways here were basically looking at some of the causes of ridership decline. There's the there's the causes in the title, uh, but also looking at sort of multi-city evaluation. Um, so when they're taking transportation from city to city, also looking at some trends for bus ridership by time of day. And they also did a lot of different case studies looking at specific cities and evaluating future strategies. And I think we actually selected this as a top story uh, uh early last year, I feel like it must have been um, because I do remember reading some of this where it was actually there's a lot of human factors related stuff in here, you know, reducing those barriers to entry uh, with respect to public transportation. We actually talked about on the show before uh, this might have been before your time on the show, Barry, but talking about the sprawling nature of of cities and and um, speed limits and Basically, what all that means uh, when you have higher speed limits and greater distances between cities makes things less walkable and less transportable. And therefore, you know, public transportation can't necessarily handle those types of multi-city uh, relationships. So it's it's interesting for sure. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'd say, and that one, it was definitely before me because I remember listening to it as I was doing DIY in the back garden because you were you were also talked about um, um, equality of um, uh, basically people be you know, people from different uh, types of backgrounds being able to use it, and then also um, some people being excluded from it. So I remember it well. Yeah, well, and I mean, you know, the the TRB had this whole um, in this in this report that we're talking about tonight has the whole section on you know basically inclusion and. Um, equity. And so that's that's great to see that they are sensitive to those topics that folks may not have the same access to transportation. All right, And then the last, I guess, the, the most downloaded, most um, yeah, I guess most downloaded is the metric they're looking at here is traffic signal control strategies for pedestrians and bicyclists. Key takeaways of this, they were looking at some analyses of crash data. They looked at uh, guidance for pedestrian and cyclist needs and then also looked at performance measures and interventions with respect to those um those uh, performance measures for interventions i think so so really interesting that that one in particular 
uh, got the highest, most downloaded. Um, I'm curious though, did you talk to to Mr. Paul Salmon <laughs> about cycling at some point? Yes, no, we did. It's they did a uh, on and still are doing a study um, in Australia around. Um, you know, um, cycling and basically cycling near misses and cycling accidents and things. And so they've developed a, a tool. Um, and I want, I think it's called crit, but I could be wrong in that, but I think it's called crit where they, they encourage cyclists to do, um, own, you know, um, self-reporting, um, to be able to develop more data because th there is a lot of data around, um, cars and, and vehicles in general because the, there is legislative, legislative need to uh, report that type of data um, but actually when you look at um, pedestrians and pedestrian near misses so um, are, are quite a big deal so if you maybe step out into the road um, and then step back because a car cut, uh, cuts across you then you you know you're not going to go and report that to anybody um and particularly cyclists and here in the uk there is lots now lots of focus of cycling particularly in london uh where you've got some really um you've got some really really busy roads i would never cycle in london um it looks really really um really unsafe um but you've got cy cyclist behavior um in of itself causing um causing some so they some cyclists sort of jump red lights and things like that and then you just got people drive um you know big buses big cars big um you know the, these big suvs um driving too close to cyclists and, and driving into cyclist lanes so yeah it's, it i think that's um a really interesting um interesting type of report that i think would be useful over here around you know how do you actually um use traffic signals to, co to control them yeah, and I do remember we snuck a little bit of that conversation in at the tail end of our conversation about AGI with Paul at HFES this year. So if you want to go listen to that, um, feel free to go listen to our interview with Paul Salmon from HFES. And then obviously over at 1202, uh, it sounds like you talked a little bit more in depth on it. So uh, there's there's the top three most downloaded. So what do you think just at a high level, Barry, what does this tell us about the state of public transportation what are some of the interesting topics that you are seeing trend-wise? So, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that I think we are. Um, there, there's a few things that I, I'm really keen that that are really excited to see in there. That there is this focus on um, on climate change and you know sustainability around transport systems, and so they they did. Um, there was a, one of the publications that they gave out there uh, that was based on um, on making sure that the um, you know the aerospace systems are ready for um, sustainable um, fuels, sustainable technologies, and th and things like that. So the fact that they've got there, they've got that on a focus, despite them not appearing in the sort of the top three or top five, uh, you know, most attended or most downloaded things, they still feel the need to to push that forward. The other interesting bit I thought was actually not necessarily around transport itself, but around the, the way that they've organized themselves. Um, and they took a bit of a poll about whether people wanted to meet face-to-face -face or um, or webcam, you know, do, doing, a, doing a hybrid model. Um, and actually, they after the 2021 virtual meeting, they uh, they surveyed all, the, all their attendees and really wanted, and they overwhelmingly um, said that they wanted to do the face-to-face -face meeting. And really what they saw highlighted was doing a, a proper full hybrid model where, you know, you can do a face-to-face -face and you can get equally as rich um, an engagement, um, you know, remotely was just logistically, as they quote, uh, to quote it from the report, was logistically and financially infeasible. So they actually worked worked out the ways of, of, of doing, basically making, making sure that their in-person event was as safe as it possibly could be. Um, and then they could do some other stuff as well. And because they've done these webinars and things like that, I think they've they've got a good blend um, there, which I think I sort of feel from, you know, that times with my own personal experience, having done a, you know, I've, I'm now much more comfortable doing online events. I'm comfortable doing in-person events. I still struggle with hybrid events, trying to get, you know, the, 
get that balance of uh, get get the balance right for both people. So I just thought it, it was interesting. It's the first time I've seen in print a, a an organization actually deliver that sort of evaluation. Yeah, <clears throat> just taking a look at the trends in in the field of surface transportation here, looking at the top three webinars, the top three downloaded publications here. I want to. There's a trend that I'm noticing and. I don't know if this has been a trend over the last couple of years or if it's just this last year. There's a lot more focus on the individual uh, pedestrian piece, right? Or, or mm -hmm. sort of um, less vehicle related, right? So you have this like um, this accessibility when it comes to transportation and public public transportation. Uh, you have the pedestrians and bicyclists uh, in the top publications, and then in the webinars you have a pedestrian analysis. Um, and, and so that to me tells me that, uh, and, and even the aging society a little bit, I'd imagine that that's kind of focusing on the individual and how things are not necessarily accessible to them when, um, you know, as you age. So to me, that, that is a really important distinction because you're, you're then putting that focus onto the individual that is not interacting with a two-ton vehicle that, that uh, you know, it seems like there's like more of a focus on the actual people walking about or choosing these more pro-social behaviors. And and that, to me, it would indicate that focus towards um, the, you know, climate ergonomics, ultimately. Because if you're focusing on walking, if you're focusing on transport, public transportation, if you're focusing on, um, you know, cycling, then that, to me, would communicate they're not looking at cars as much. They still are. But the, the hot stuff right now is looking at, well, how can we make things, you know, more, more green, more sustainable um, with those methods of transportation? So that's what that's what stuck out to me, at least from at least the top few that we're looking at here. Yeah, and if you look through the entire report, um, you know they they talk about the communication section at the end as well, and um, it, it's more. It seems to be a lot more about the transportation system as a whole, uh, rather than just looking at the you know the 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 um, the automobile um, and you know the, them sort of things. As you say, it's it's looking at right. How does the pedestrian interact with with? It is looking at a, at a whole systems approach or a, a SOZO system of systems approach. Um, which is which is really which is really good, and then it goes a lot more into respecting and understanding the 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 different types of representation that it has. So it talks a lot more about LGBTQIA plus. Um, it talks about um, Women's History Month, Black History Month, um, about having the diversity of uh, of input, um, which just screams awareness um which is which is really good and i think that if they keep on going in this way this uh what what is underpinning this report which i possibly should have said right at the beginning is they have a five-year plan and we're only into year two of that five-year plan so it was, it was launched last year um and running all the way out to 2027 and so this is year year two of that of that strategic plan. And if they keep on going in going in this route, then um I look forward to to talking about it next year. Yeah. Well, we'll see if it gets selected for a story next year. <laughs> I mean, but but you're right. You're right. I mean, they're you're you're absolutely right. They're still kind of early on in this plan. And um I I don't know. It's it's fun to look at a domain like surface transportation interests me. And it's not my area of expertise. I I, it, it interests me because there's often a lot of really fun, little, interesting things that will pop up and you say, oh, oh, I didn't. You're looking at the width of, of those markings on. The, OK, that's cool. Uh, and and <laughs> and then you start to think about, well, how is that any different from looking at, you know, sort of the, the differences in an interface? Because the, the road is the interface in a lot of ways for pedestrians. And well, it's. It's part of the interface, but it's it's interesting to me. So anyway, uh, all that being said, I picked the wrong article. I picked the wrong report, and uh, we're gonna. Any last words on this one, Barry? No, I think I uh, congratulations to them. They've clearly had a, had a good year. I'd like to see something like or like how we can apply the learnings from this over here in the UK, and and how we would seek to do that. Um, but I think I need to talk to different people to make that happen. 
<laughs> no, I think you just you flip everything on the other side of the road, right? Is that how it works? Oh, that's so. true. Um, <laughs> and we have slightly more lights. Yeah. Anyway, thank you to uh, our Patreons and all of our listeners this week for selecting our topic. Thank you to our friends over at the Transportation Research Board for our new story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post the links to your original articles and our weekly roundups on our blog, or you can join us on our Discord for more discussion on these stories. Like I said, you can always vote for the next story on our Patreon page, Patreon or not. It's open to everybody. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends. Yes, huge thank you as always to our patrons. Patr Why do I keep doing that tonight? Patrons, we especially want to thank our Human Factors cast, all access patrons, Michelle Tripp. Uh, hey, by the way, we usually like to take a little pause here to talk about some of the things we have going on. Uh, and this week is no different, although this week is interesting because it's going to be an answer to a question that we're going to have a little later on. So keep that in mind. This is an answer to one of the it came froms in the next section. Just pretend like we're not there yet, and then I'll reference this. Anyway, hey, we have a we have a digital media lab. I don't know if you knew about that, but we have a Human wish, Factors Cast. Human Factors Cast Digital Media Lab. Now, I I love our our lab. Uh, I love our lab mates. Um, we are focused on communicating human factors. So this podcast is just one of the many things that we're working on over there. We have a ton of different exciting projects that we're working on, and it's really focused on. Uh, communicating human factors in a fun, interesting, entertaining way. And we can do that in a variety of different ways. That's uh, text-based media, that's audio, uh, visual media. So it, there's even some experimental things like virtual reality. How do you learn in virtual reality about a complex topic like human factors? Maybe we're Maybe we're trying something. Who knows? Uh, if you want to come work in our lab, it's all volunteer. Um, we invite you to do so. Reach out to us. You can get some work experience, enhance your portfolio by working on some of these projects. Um, get experience working with a worldwide distributed team. We have folks from all over the world, uh, UK, Australia. Um, I, I know I'm forgetting other places uh, that are worldwide us like <laughs> that's a given. Um, but it's great for undergrads who are looking to get into grad school. Uh, there's the answer for later on. And, uh, you can, you get to work with some industry tools that we got our hands on. So that's kind of fun too. Um, all that being said, the lab is a great place. If you haven't heard of our lab and want to learn more or get in touch with us about potentially volunteering for the lab, reach out to us on any of our platforms. We're more than happy to uh, have a chat with you, see if it's something that might work out for both of us. All right, let's get into this next part of the show we like to call. It came from. It came from. Oh, that's right. It, it, it came from. It came from where? It came from all over. This is part of the search where we, part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you topics the community's talking about. If you find any of these answers useful or helpful, uh, give us a like to help other people find this content, no matter where you're watching or listening. So there's three tonight. This first one here is by uh, Penguin Mumble on the UX Research subreddit. They write, is UX research overhyped as a field? I'm curious about the big boom in UX research as a hot or trendy profession. It seems like everywhere I look, it's a person wanting to transition into UX research or a boot camp coaching service promising support with getting UX research, uh, with getting into UX research. My question is, is UX research becoming overhyped and oversaturated? Barry, what do you think? Um, 
yes and no. I think UX, UXR, um, Oliver, it, it is trendy. It is a it is a hot topic at the moment. Um, there is lots of discussion debate um, from both sides, the human factor side and the UX side about is UX just part of human factors? And we've sort of talked before around um, our different views on that. I think it is great that it's getting lots of attention because it is trendy. It is making it look a bit sexy and and that type of thing. And quite frankly, we've needed this for a long time. So yes, it's getting um, it's getting the attention. Is it being overhyped? Possibly, um, but I don't think that's a bad thing at the the moment. Um, and oversaturated, not yet. Um, I think there is still plenty of um, UX jobs out there that, that I've seen, um, particularly if you are taking the view that actually UX is part of the um, the, the the human factors domain. And I, but I can see getting that way in the future. I can see, you know, we've talked in the past about uh, boot camps and things like that. Um, you know, are people just trying to sort of say you can become a UX researcher if you do my boot camp for a weekend, and suddenly that makes you a fully fledged person, and yet people like us sitting here with like 10, 20 years experience, and we still are only scratching the surface of some of this stuff. So um, that's a definite maybe, and I think a little bit maybe of a it depends as well. What do you say, Nick? Uh, the field's hot right now. I the the number one topic I talk to new mentees about is how do I get into the field of UX research? Um, it's it's kind of crazy how many people have found UX research over the last couple of years and have gravitated towards it. So the fact that people enjoy it is not surprising to me. The fact that so many people want to come to it is not surprising to me. The fact I think that that we're looking at here from this perspective, is it overhyped? I don't necessarily think it is. I think it's perhaps, um, I think a lot of people, employees, see value in it, but I don't think a whole lot of companies have got to that point where they're like, this needs to be, this is a necessary, right? And this is a fight that we've been fighting for years. But I think there's, more and more people who want to get in and not enough opportunities. So therefore it looks saturated. And I think that's where we're at. And so it's harder for new folks to get into the field from transitioning from other fields. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it just, to me, it doesn't feel oversaturated. It feels like they're, they're, I was about to say, it feels like there needs to be more opportunities, but that would be oversaturated. It just feels like, uh, maybe maybe is it overhyped maybe uh, it depends <laughs> there you go <laughs> all right this this next one barry um this one's interesting because it they've neatly packaged up 12 questions for us i think it's 12 i bet it better be 12 they they've neatly packaged up um many questions for us so uh i think what we'll do is since we have a little bit of time here that first story today didn't really take us a whole lot of time what we'll do is we'll kind of go through each question and answer it and then we'll move on to the next one i'd like to start with a couple of them here um this is from the the human factors subreddit this is uh cag why i hope i said that right seeking human factors engineering career help uh, can you please answer these questions? I'm unsure if I should choose human factors engineer as my career. Okay, so this is somebody who's completely looking at the field. Do they want to pick it? Mm -hmm. The ones that we don't really cover on the show, I'm going to kind of focus on, like I said, there's 12 here. But I think um, there's, I, I think we focus on the ones that maybe we haven't touched on so much or bear repeating. So mm -hmm. this first one here, how much do you think you could benefit the world with this career loads so from a basic standpoint of if you do human i mean firstly we don't talk about human factors engineering um very much in the grand scheme of things so i'm no. really pleased to see something come out around human factors engineering um uh, so quite close to my heart um so benefit the world with this career well actually now that we are starting to understand that human factors and hfe really works outside the workplace as well so it, it isn't just purely scoped to the environment of our workplace i think we're only just starting to 
really get this idea of almost metahuman factors um, and things like that. We mentioned earlier on in the in, in this episode around uh, climate ergonomics, which is the application of human factors to you know global challenges. Um, so, just the fact that we can now think in that um, at, at that scale at that size. Um, I think we are now realizing that almost the world's your oyster. So fundamentally, at a really basic level, doing HFE, uh, doing it properly means that you're going to get really good engineering solutions, your safe solutions, with, that will delight your user because you've got them um, in that engineering development. So you will help put a, a small level creating good, good quality products, and you can save the world. Nick, have, have I missed anything with that scope there? Have I, yeah, you missed a couple of things. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to bring us back down to earth, pun intended. Um, the look, here's the thing. You could save the world with this. Like human factors is a is a fairly ubiquitous field. It can be applied to literally every single thing on this planet. The part where I caution against that is or at least the thinking that you could save the world is that it will largely depend on what you're working on. So if you're working on something like, you know, a very specific line on a very specific lane on a very specific street in a very specific small town in a very small town, rural America, right. Then you're going to save the people of that town. I th I still think it's worth considering that you can save people's lives absolutely unequivocally um, with human factors, and that in itself should be a, a reward. Or you can improve people's lives if you're not saving them. If you're not working on safety-related things, you can absolutely improve people's lives by making things easier to do, and that in itself is one of the most rewarding things as a human factors practitioner that I get to do. When I look at the end of the day and I see, oh, this person has improved their, um, you know, output by whatever, that to me doesn't translate. Oh, that means they've, you know, increased their efficiency. That means, oh, that means they're spending less time getting frustrated on the things that that were holding them back before. Um, and so it matters which lens you look at the world through. You could save the world with this if you were working in climate ergonomics. Yeah, absolutely. If you were working in standards think about how many lives you would save with standards like that's a lot right so thinking about it from that lens a lot um you could you could absolutely benefit the world but largely depends on the scope do you have any rebuttals to that barry so i feel like um <clears throat> no I'd, I'd agree with you um but if you do want to save the world there is a um now a fully funded phd that is available here in the uk that you get to work with me and and uh cardiff university and that is an open thing right now um to be able to come and save the world through human factors engineering just saying mm, look at that all right barry this next question is really interesting uh do you have any regrets about human <laughs> factors engineering in this career um I have, do I have a regret? Yes, I do have one regret, I think. Um, and it's not, regret's a strong word, I think. It because, is. Um, so I, in many ways, I wish I'd known about human factors earlier. Um, uh, we talked before about where, you know, my, my sort of career path and the fact that my initial degree is command and control. So I'm, I'm an engineer first, and then I, I found human factors. I wish in many ways I'd found earlier so I could have done more with it. But then if I'd found it earlier, I wouldn't have done everything else that I'd done, which then come, which then influenced the way I work about things now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a sort of regret that is kind of non-realistic because because um, I would have got there. Um, I think in I wish they I, I wish I'd had more. I guess confidence to go for some different types of so I've all I've always been um there's been a lot of jobs I had early in my career that I just I I would I I took the safer option perhaps um and stayed in the domain that I know very well and I had potentially a couple of opportunities where I could have broken out of it and done something else 
um, or don't you know stay within human within human factors, but maybe gone into slightly different domains. But then again, I, I then want to be doing what I'm doing now. So they're not really regrets, but they're almost what ifs, um, almost they're hypotheticals, almost. Um, and I do sort of muse on them occasionally. Yeah. What about you? Do, think, do you, do you regret anything? I do. Um, is it career specific? I mean, do you do you consider the podcast career specific? Because I regret bringing you on. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That wouldn't be a first. <laughs> Look at us banter. <laughs> no, I. There's actually one moment I really do regret with the podcast, and I, I will tell you that moment in the post shows. Okay. <laughs> uh, that uh, no, there, there's one moment, and I do feel like that had maybe uh, a negligible impact on my career in some way. But in terms of career-specific regrets, I think the biggest regret for me is getting so in my head about a project that I was working on that I had kind of a mental breakdown over it. And, and I will roughly describe the situation. So I was working on a project where there was a high profile um, project I was working on. Um, and there were some real life and death consequences associated with this product. And, uh, Ultimately, I was sort of I, I had in my head that I was the sole person responsible for the quick reference guide for this um, this system. And ultimately, I I was on a hike and I'm like, if I don't get this thing right, I the people are going to use it wrong and it's going to people their lives. And is that on me? Then you know, this whole, whole distribu uh, distribution of responsibility, especially in military applications. And it's like. That to me weighed on me so heavily, but it's like, no, it, it, don't get out of your head, Nick, because you got to think about it from this perspective. You writing this thing up is going to save people's lives. And if they misinterpret what you wrote, you gave it your best effort. Uh, and it went through many reviews before it got to that desk. So that's how I had to think about it to get myself out of it. So thinking about it in, in the sense of I am the sole person responsible for this uh, and I not doing a good job would, you know, um, take lives from this earth. That was my biggest regret is to think about things that way. I don't think about things that way anymore. Um, so there's that. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. We got, we got, uh, let's do two more here. Do you feel independent and flexible in your role as a human factors engineer? Um. I'm in the lucky position that I run my own company and I get to pick and choose the jobs that I do on the whole. So, yes. Um, but equally, you still you still work within the framework of you know, what it is that we're doing. Um, so I, I do have complete, in, generally have independence, but you're still reporting into a client. You're still reporting into a project you're still supporting you're still you know it's it's not like you're i i can sit down and lay down the law on on things that are going on i can give my um my viewpoints my ideas my thoughts and i can like i said i can pick and put down jobs that i want to do as opposed to the ones that you know being told to do it if somebody tells me to do a job then i tend to tell them to go away um i i'm i'm lucky that i can do that so Yes, I think yeah. Fundamentally, um, I'm I'm in a very very um, lucky and privileged position to be able to do that. Not everybody's the same. I've been in that position where um, you're part of a team, or you know, almost. Sometimes it can be a blessing. Sometimes it's a curse when you're the one human factors person in employed as part of a team, and you have to go and do something. You know that it might not be the most optimum thing to do. It's not that ne it's not necessarily the wrong thing to do, but it's not the right thing to do. And some and you just you know, you basically get it down on high, suck it up, buttercup, because that's what you're doing. Um, and that's one of the reasons I went and tried to set up my own consultancy um, was because I didn't like that sort of, I don't, I, I don't know whether it comes across, but I don't like being told what to do. I kind of struggle with authority. So, mm. yeah. What about you, Nick? Do, do, do you, do, are, are you flexible? Are you, are you independent or? Yes and yes. So I think there's an interesting thing going here with this question is it, as us trained as human factors practitioners, we have the flexibility to approach problems in different ways. And I brought up this analogy, um, 
you know many times but the the jack of all master of none uh still better than a master of one so i think in a lot of ways we are approaching problems in, in through a lens of okay which tool can we use in our toolbox that's going to solve this problem and you have the flexibility as a as a practitioner to decide a lot of times, even if you're working in a team, you have a say. I've never worked on a team where they've completely disregarded your expertise, even on a human factors team, right? Like a team of human factors practitioners, they, they where they've disregarded your expertise. I've never had that. They've at least taken it into consideration. Okay, you're laughing, but like, I, I, I've, I've had, well, I've had somebody who's tried. Yeah, um, right. I would, but I mean, you can be persuasive, and you know, there's, you might not win, but. Um, and I've had that happen, but you can certainly at least have other people listen to you. So flexibility in the way that you approach problems, independent in the way that how you sort of um, approach those problems as well, unless you've like specifically outlined, you know, we're going to approach this problem in this way. So yes, I think short answer, yes. All right, let's do one more. Now, Barry, I want you to pick this next one. Which one do you think that we have not covered enough on the show? Because there's quite a few here. And yeah, I might I even gonna, pull this for next you, week. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, oh, there's, there's one here about values, but I think we need to do that another time when we've actually got time to think about it in a bit more detail. Because yeah. I think that, that, that's quite a biggie. Um, I guess for me, well, it's an interesting, what is your biggest fear for this position? And how did you overcome it? Oh, good one. Mm. Are you, so you're asking me or am I asking you that one? Right, I'll start. I'm asking you. Okay. My biggest fear for this position is that I think I talked a little bit about it before uh, with respect to getting so in my head about a responsibility that's on me. So I guess my fear would be that I, that I get back to that level where I feel that anything that I do will impact the people I'm working with so significantly that it will either cause harm or, or stop, you know, things from functioning entirely in a way that shifts these fundamental, uh, like right now I work in supply chain logistics, right? So it's completely different from military domain, but, um, you know, is there something that I'm going to do that's going to throw a wrench in supply chain logistics that's going to mess us up for years. So that's, um, Getting in my head about these things that are larger than life uh, because of your role as a human factors practitioner. What about you, Barry? What is your biggest fear and how do you deal with it? So I've got two. I've got a personal one and a professional one, I guess. So my personal one, and I've talked about this before, is imposter syndrome. I have that constantly all the time. And with what I've got coming up this year, um, do I feel that massive? Um that it's, you know, that you're sitting there going, um, yeah, I'm fully qualified in what I do, this, that, and the other. And yet, um, do you feel that? It's so, but the, I guess the the biggest fear I have um, on a day-to-day -day basis of, in projects being, um, and certainly I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have worked in some decent positions on some quite, you know, deep, quite big projects. Um, what happens if people just don't pay any attention? So they turn around and say, yeah, you've got your human factor stuff. Great, great, great. Thanks for that. Whatever. Not bothered. We are, we are taking a project decision. We don't care. And really that, um, I've seen it happen before in other projects where they've made a decision that they want to cut something and human factors is a thing that gets cut. Thankfully, it's not been uh, one of mine, but I've been um, close enough to it to sit there and, and work with the people to go, wow. Um, and that's my, I guess my biggest fear is that I don't, I'm not persuasive enough of the value of what it is that we do um, in, and therefore it gets cut and therefore I put lives at risk by not being strong enough, by being a strong enough advocate. Um, thankfully, not there yet, but it's, it's still, I mean, working on, on some, I'm possibly working on the largest value project right now that I've ever worked on. Um, and that fear is real almost on a daily basis. Yeah. So it's it's like we have the same fear about ultimately impacting the people. Mm, so, yeah. Good. And, All and, right. And got... the, second, sorry, the second half of that was how, how have you overcome it? And I don't know yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. I'll, I didn't I'll answer that on my 
I'll let you know when I retire about what I did about that, but living it every day. <laughs> All right, we got one more here. This one's by SSJ Kosh on the Human Factor subreddit. How do I gain experience for grad school? Um, I got denied from a human factors and ergonomics program for not having related work experience. So far, most of the work I've done has been in mental health field. How do I build up my resume and work experience to cater to a human factors degree? Barry. Wow. I'm, I'm quite intrigued that they've not got, um, been thrown out of a, um, a program for not having work related experience, an educational program for that. Anyway. Um, so we sort of mentioned, we boxed around this quite a few times before. So you work in the mental health field. So you do a lot of stuff there that might not uh, have the exact words that we're looking at, but do a lot of the stuff that we do. Um, you know, things like the way that you engage with patients is very similar to user engagement. The way that you, um, you know, get feedback and things like that. So th there's going to be a lot, a lot of things that you do that cross over. Identify them and work out the difference in language and that will help you build up them little bits of your resume so that is almost trying to get the something for nothing piece but then you've got um nick might mention something about some online lab i'll leave that for him to talk about but fundamentally there are things out there um there's online learning there is companies that will get um you you, you can look for um placements and things like that um it's getting that balance right between um what you're doing on a on a day-to-day -day basis so if you're doing this alongside work um or you're happy or you're just trying to find a um, a different um if you've got the time to be able to go and do go and look for different jobs but look internships and things like that nick have you got any sort of online resources that you think might help with with this type of thing hey do you remember that part that probably most of the people skipped because everyone skips that part and they just go to the it came from so i answered this uh the the human factors cast digital media lab Communicating human factors, exciting projects, work experience, enhance your portfolio. It's not an advertisement for it, but yeah, get in a lab, get get some, um, in terms of how to get experience there, you know, do, do your own personal projects, that type of thing. But joining a lab is probably uh, a really great way because they have a lot of stuff that needs to be done and there's no shortage of work that you get to work on that have direct impacts towards human factors a lot of the times, right? So that's where I would say, you know, we have a lab. So do that. All right, let's get into one more thing. Uh, needs no introduction. Barry, what's your one more thing this week? So my one more thing I thought was going to be really, 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 really exciting. And it turns out it was sort of exciting with a bit of a damn squib at the end. And now I'm talking about the version of launch of, of Cosmic Girl and Launcher 1. Um, so Cosmic Girl um, was the... So the the idea behind um, Virgin Norbit was that it's, it's 737 and um, it's, a, it's a 737 with a rocket slung underneath it. And then it, it, it takes its cargo and, and puts it into, into space, into orbit. Or at least that was the plan. And it didn't quite work like that. And I'm not going to go too much into the detail about the outcome because I think we're going to, we hopefully next week, just, just vote, 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 vote. We might talk about the entire thing next week. But the main thing I want to focus on is. They did it. They did a live coverage through through YouTube. Now that's not new because SpaceX has been doing that. NASA's been doing that, um, and you you get the talking heads. You know where they're at in the mission and all this sort of stuff. But I have to say that the way that Virgin Orbit did it was terrible. It was appalling. It was the um, you had some. You, there was something about you would have thought that they would have looked at the way that some of these other companies have done it and just realized that you cannot have just big screens. I mean, basically they had a nice little display where you were, you know, you had a bit of a flight timeline where you were in, 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 in the, in the particular mission, you had some um, key um, stage information. So what, what, what were you doing? What was the time? What, you know, time to, since takeoff it time to the next thing coming along, but then they had, they had some key that's some talking head interviews with Secretary of State and things like that. Then they just got into this bit and say, Well, it was almost like we couldn't be bothered to fill this anymore. We haven't got any more talking heads. So they just had a big screen saying, We'll be right back. And that stayed up there for a good five, 10, 15 minutes. And then they'll do a little bit more. And then this big screen would come back. And he's like, Wait, 54,000 people had uh, had gone into YouTube to watch this and they just sat watching. 
the equivalent of a um, um, a lift music screen. I was <laughs> I was so so not disappointed in as the oh look what they're doing, but the missed opportunity, the fact that this was the first launch of a space vehicle from the UK, such an opportunity, and it was just like oh well, you, never mind. You know, you know what grinds my gears about that. We are a small operation here, and even we had placeholders for when we did a live stream from HFES earlier this no. last year, right? We had like those 15 minute spots. Like you're still getting bits and pieces, even if they are advertisements. You're, you at least have something there to keep you going uh, in the background instead of. And we, we even had, you right. Because we had people not turn up when we expected them, we had backups for things like like that. We we thought that might happen, and so I get for some of the this. I mean, this was really early stage, so it was still uh, they were doing this. We'll be right back when the plane was taking off, or when you know when it was just starting to orbit. Um, I can understand around the second stage burn piece because that's when things started to go wrong, um, and they were getting some some not um, some optimal burns, and so you could sort of see them maybe going there, going oh hold on a second, we need to get things sorted out and we don't have a message yet. I, that's bad planning, but forgivable. Uh, but to do it so early on and clearly just nothing there, I was like, yeah. Anyway, that's probably, probably been the last, the longest one more thing that I've done in quite a while. But, oh, I was, I, I was frustrated and annoyed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry it didn't work out. And maybe we'll talk about it next week. Or maybe we'll talk about CES next week. Who knows? You know. You, the listeners, know. My one more thing this week uh, was... uh, So I didn't talk about this last week because I talked about potty training. But it is a new year. And I have been, over the last couple years, making New Year's resolutions that have been non-sticky. Like, not they're soft um, in a way. And so like last year, my goal was to set up a team of individuals uh, to help me out. Right. Doctor, dentist, uh, eye doctor, you know, just moved to a new place. And so it's like getting all that stuff in order. Um, and I did. And I, I, I feel like I accomplished that New Year's resolution this year. It's it's really nebulous and something that I'm even struggling with even saying, but just being at peace with letting some things go. I have a lot of games in my backlog that I want to play, a lot of TV shows that I want to watch, a lot of movies that I want to watch, a lot of books that I want to read that I haven't got to read, uh, a lot of projects that I want to do that I can't necessarily do. I don't have the time for everything. And so my goal this year is to just be okay with letting some things go that I will never, ever do, even though I want to do them Uh or work on them or whatever. Like I just, there's just being at peace. And it's so hard because I'm like, I could, I could just not do that book, but I'm a completionist and I want to, and it's hard. It's hard. I, I struggle with it even right now, as I'm talking to you Mm -hmm. about it, I, I can't fully let go. And so my, my resolution is to just let go of something. Uh, And with that, I'm going to let go of this episode. So that's it for today, everyone. If you like this episode and enjoy some of the discussion about roadway hazards, I guess, I'll encourage you to go listen to episode 239, where we uh, talk about can we define sex as risky driving behavior. (laughs) Comment wherever you're listening what you think of the story this week. Did you like that report? I don't know. (laughs) For more in-depth discussion, you can join us on our Discord community. Uh, visit us on our official website, sign up for our newsletter, stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple things you can do. Right now, you can stop what you're doing, and you can leave us a five-star review on whatever podcatcher you listen to, uh, or our website, wherever. It just helps us other people find our show. Uh, tell other people about us. That's the second way that you can help. Uh, word of mouth is really, really important for the way that we operate here. We're a small niche community, and if you can tell one or two people about this show and say hey these guys talked about transportation research boards uh, recap report and it was a great episode I'm putting that energy out there maybe you guys will too (laughs) Uh, or three if you have the financial means to do so we have a wonderful Patreon page with a bunch of rewards for our supporters if you have the financial means to do so we like to give back to you we have a bunch of fun things over there like i said we just went through a big refresh on all of our stuff there's new podcasts coming out beyond human factors minute just for you all uh there's our our academy so if you want to if you want a part of any of that go take a look um mr barry kirby thank you for being on the show today where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about your disappointment with the uh 
with the Virgin launch. Well, if you want to find out about how I was disappointed, particularly about the way it was portrayed on, on, on YouTube, then you can find me on Twitter and other social media, Baz underscore K. Or if you want to come and hear my amazing interview that's going to launch in a couple of weeks, um, come and find me on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, which is at 1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on our Discord and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into Human Factors Cast. Until next time. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202 The Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory because it's more than just common sense.